boys and girls, young adults and old adults. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Restless! <laughs> oh my. <laughs> Welcome to Restless. I'm Father Joseph Gill, along with Lauren, Joe, and Diane. As together we young adults and, and not so young adults seek the face of God restlessly in our mixed up crazy modern world. So, uh, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, um, I wanted to be the Pope. I don't wow. know if you probably never wanted that. <laughs> No. But actually, when my, my friends in high school used to call my car the Pope Mobile. And so I figured, you know, if you're going to be a priest, like go all the way to the top, right? Just like shoot for the shoot for the moon and all that. And then I realized that was really arrogant. And also, it's not fun to be the Pope because like, you know, it's hard to go hiking and play Frisbee when you're the Pope. Although John Paul II went hiking quite a bit as Pope. So let's talk about ambition. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Should you want to be the CEO, the Pope, the president? I don't know. Uh, today's topic is all about like, you know, whether as a Christian, should we shoot for the top? Because it seems to go against humility. How do we keep our humility if we're, if we're striving? You know, what are we allowed to do to strive for greatness? So what do you guys think? Is ambition a good thing or a bad thing? I think it depends on our motivations and, and what it's, what the activity we're talking about is. Right. So, I mean, um, if, if you're motivated by self-interest or, um, by your own glory, obviously, that would be, I would think, sinful or at least problematic. But um, if it's an activity which is good in and of itself and you're just trying to give it your all, um, I mean, I think it's, it's natural that anything you, you give all of your effort to, you will advance in, right? Um, I don't think that sort of ladder climbing is itself bad as long as it's ordered toward the greater glory of God and is not like, doesn't, isn't characterized by backbiting or scheming or, you know, um, malice or, or things like that, right? But can we know? That our motives are totally pure. Are our motives? Can our motives ever be totally pure? Uh, no. Our, our, our listeners can't see you shaking. Yeah, your they head. can't. Can no, I mean, like, <laughs> you have I to just, verbalize that. No, no. I mean, like, yeah. Um, even doing good things, right? One's always has to be aware that you can be doing them because it's you want to look good doing it, or how you know how great am I that I'm spending all this time doing this this thing? But that doesn't change the goodness of the act. Um, and the fact that one takes the time to think about it, I think, is a sign of spiritual progress. Maybe. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. I mean, keep keeping your motives in check. What do you guys think, Diane? I guess, I mean, ambition, it's it's good to, you know, have goals and, and work hard and everything. But um, I think when, you know, you put succeeding and, uh, you know, in whatever aspect of life that is, so like work or um, sports or whatever, and when you put that before God and that becomes sort of like your... I guess an idol. Like, uh, I mean, I think that a lot of times people for the sake of, you know, advancing in their career, um, really neglect their duties and their commitments and the things in life that are ordered to God. Um, so I think it can be very dangerous because at least in my life, whenever I've had success in things, it's, it's almost like a high that you get from, that succeeding and you can or at least I have easily made excuses for myself as to why you know why I should spend you know a few more hours working instead of you know like maybe attending to my friends or a community thing or something like that so um I think it can be very dangerous so if you do advance in career or you know have success in sports even if you're doing it for the glory of God, are you allowed to take pleasure in it, in the success? I don't know. 
uh, I mean, we we can take pleasure in doing other good things for, for the glory of God, can't we? I'm sure you do. I mean, I'm sure you take pleasure in celebrating Mass reverently and and take pleasure in serving people. I mean, I take pleasure in teaching CCD. I take pleasure in what we're doing right now. I feel like I don't think pleasure is maybe is maybe the best way to to measure bad intentions, right? I mean, because we shouldn't we enjoy? I mean, not always, but I don't think it's bad to enjoy doing good things for God and for others, is it? No, well, I don't know. I don't know. And maybe just to realize, too, that, like, I mean, I think it's okay to feel pleasure, but, like, to know that, like, it's not my, like, my doing my, like, it's God working through me, you know, like, to have that humility in it. But I don't think God would be like, yeah, no, I want you to be miserable in, in all of these things that, like, you know, sort of in in the vocation and the, the mission that I have for your life and, like, the way that, like, you, because all of us uniquely glorify God in a way that no one else can. So I think that there's something definitely cool about that when you realize what that is and you're doing that for God but you know understanding that it's all because of him it can be hard though yeah if you've had success right it can be hard to (laughs) yeah I mean saying that's one thing like yeah living is another for sure yeah you're promoted and like yeah for the glory of God but this is really awesome (laughs) yeah I think we're talking about a level of spiritual maturity here that I would imagine most people don't have hmm Right? I mean, because I think, well, many people don't really have the faith much at all, just to begin with. But, you know, I think we're kind of trained to be ambitious and um, go for success and want to change the world, right? Or impact people. And those are good things. But I would say most people aren't motivated to serve God through doing those things, Mm. right? But even if you have a good intention, right? Like, I want to help people, like, in the best way that I can. are you saying like maybe that's not even good if you don't have God at the root? I don't know. Because you can have the best of intentions. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people go into politics thinking, yeah, I'm going to do this so that I can change the world in a good way. Yeah. Well, I think the key there is people that aren't grounded in their faith probably are then led astray, right? Because the devil is the one who comes in to draw us to success and fame and honor, right? And that's not what God wants from us. So, you really? know, no, Wait, God doesn't want us to be successful. Um, our worth doesn't Ooh. come from our success. Well, that's true. That's right? true. So, you know, that's climbing whatever ladder it is, um, doesn't make God love you anymore. Right. He already loves you. Right. Serving him. And I don't know, just being a good Christian, caring for others, loving others. Right. That's what God wants from us. So if you don't have that foundation in who you are, I could foresee like the the politician example, right? Where, okay, you win this election and then you get more notoriety and more power and then it just seems to turn, right? People kind of become corrupt <laughs> over time, <You> right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? Just a few. And I think the temptation, especially for in politics, is to say, well, I have to make this moral compromise, but if I don't make it, I won't be in politics. And if I'm in politics, I can do great things. Or to say, I have to make this, <clears throat> this moral compromise because if I don't, someone worse will be in my position. And I, mm. both those are like, can be legitimate arguments. I, I don't think they're sort of inherently flawed, but the, I think the problem becomes when it then becomes, comes time to use that power to actually do something good. It's like, okay, great. You've been in politics for 20 years. You made all of these compromises. What is, what are we waiting for? Like, what's the, <laughs> all the compromises were, were, were hills you could have chosen to die on. So that's great. Which, which hill is it? Right. And you know, it's great you're keeping out the worst guy, but if you're making all those compromises, how are you any better? So, yeah, so I think so that's you, the corrupting part of it is the, the, the constant, well, I have to stay in, I have to be the good person. So, so, you, so you have to, yeah. Cause there's always a further office that you could strive for, right? 
I mean, unless you're a second term president, there's always something further you can yeah. go for. But also it's like the incremental compromises. So it's like, okay, I'll lie to this constituent because I need to stay in politics. Okay, well, I'll lie to this hearing because I need to stay in politics. Okay, well, I'll vote for this bill that's back to stay in politics. But it's like when you compromise on the small things, then you compromising on the big things becomes very, very easy. And then you're just ruled by your by your ambition. So then should you die on the first hill that comes to you? I mean, what what hill can you die on? That's why it's so tough because I think it's a question of prudence, right? I mean, it's it's tough because yeah, I don't think you, I don't think the first time there's like a rules vote that you don't agree with, you say that's it, you know, I'm I'm gonna be a total burke and just vote against this and, and die on my sword. I think you have to actually a, a burke, uh, um, yeah, um, the, the <laughs> um, like um, Edmund Burke, uh, the the letter to his constituents where he said, um, this is not what we're talking about, but um, <laughs> you know, he said, I owe you my judgment, not my obedience, basically, and then was promptly elected out of office out of office better way to say it so oh (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah Hmm. yeah i don't know because i mean that that can that same idea of like compromises can be applied to the workplace right like are you willing to go along with the you know a diversity training that you know goes against your catholic faith because well maybe i can get into a higher position of power where i can take that away or make that you know Hmm. i don't know what what do you think how many compromises are you allowed to make I mean, I don't think you're you're allowed to make any compromises. If I, we're not supposed to live like balanced lives lives when it comes to living out our faith. So, it, I think like it comes down to like I mean, just like anything, anything can become our passions and desires. Where our you know our intellect is darkened, our will is weakened, and so we like the things that we desire, success, whatever, I mean, those can be disordered. And so if I think a lot of times we put, it's crazy, like society puts so much emphasis on like, you know, success in the workplace, on the sports field. And it's great to have drive and, and all of the, all of those things. But then when compromise enters the picture, you know, I mean, you're, it's become disordered. It's become, you've, you've put this over, over God and and being obedient to his commands. And so I don't think that, I don't think that you can do that. And you need to like, kind of, you know, take a hard look at yourself in terms of what, what's first in my life. Is it God or is it like my desires, my, my disordered desires, my ambitions and things like that. So, so integrity over success. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's a hard pill to swallow, but that's reality. Yeah. But I think Joe make a good point that there's prudence too. You know, if you're in the workplace and you, you don't have to make a wave about this, you know, maybe sometimes it is better to close your mouth and just not make a wave. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. But when it comes to, you know, like there are, there are other things that are, you know, kind of, at least in my workplace and everything, it's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of politics and you can easily blame things on other people and, you know, kind of just to make yourself look better and to preserve sort of your reputation at the expense of others. And so there's a lot of things that come up like that. And, um, you know, it's pretty easy to fall into if you're just focused on, I gotta, I gotta make myself look the best that I can and, and my progression and everything to the detriment of people around me. Yeah. Do you think part of the calculation needs to be like how much control do I actually have over the situation? For example, of the like a a diversity training or something. I mean, ultimately, those things are probably state mandated and you probably aren't going to be in a position to get rid of them. And so maybe the best you could do is change them. But like, I I kind of want, I think, I kind of think that part of what you have to do is decide, like, okay, this is a compromise. How big is it? Like, how much is it going to affect me? How much is it going to cause scandal to those around me? And also, like, can I actually, is there any, is there any reality in which I have control over this? Mm. And I think if you actually, if it's, I don't think you need to die on a hill 
every i don't think you necessarily have to die in a hill when there's no chance of actually surviving the battle or, or changing it in some way right i mean <laughs> sort of push the analogy to its to its limits i guess yeah. it is veterans day so yeah, <laughs> we're yeah. recording this so right the battle analogy yeah yeah that's true what do you mean by a diversity training well there's a lot of trainings that are about like you know you have to accept all the wokeness and call people by their preferred pronouns and you know whatever silliness the world is coming up with these days Okay, gotcha. Because generally, like diversity is good, so I just wanted to. Yeah, no, not not like a good diversity, but, but I mean, usually you don't need training for good diversity. Maybe you do. I don't know, but so I, I'm curious because I think everybody has something in their life that they're really kind of striving for excellence in, and like, and and not only striving for excellence, but maybe even taking their identity from success in a certain realm. Mm-hmm. For you, what is it? You know, is it is it the sports field? Is it you know, when you were in school, you were getting straight A's. Is it, uh, is it your work? Is it relationships? I know people that they, they take their identity from being successful and being able to like woo every woman in the room. <laughs> you laugh, but I know people like that. That's funny. I've had, I've had guys come up to me and be like, yo, see her over there? I, I could get her. Yeah, well, I think, I don't know. I've <laughs> no, definitely like, no encountered <laughs> suave men, you know? They just have something about them. They're charming and they're confident. And you just you just can watch it play out like you're describing. <laughs> so I didn't realize that's something to be ambitious about, but... Um, Maybe women aren't towards men, but guys definitely aren't towards yeah, girls in that direction. Yeah, I would think direction. it's more of a guy-to-girl thing, but who knows? Because a lot of times, guys, honestly, like guys will try to get a, get a girl just because of the challenge. Mm-hmm to say can I you think I, am I good enough you know <laughs> honestly like no lie you learn no, something well, every no, day it's funny because I, I have friends who I've talked to and like one friend will be like it's not hard you know because he's confident and he can be friendly and nice and and then there are other men right who are maybe more timid and shy and like they won't even talk to a girl so yeah different skills I guess I don't know <laughs> different skills <laughs> what's your god-given talent I don't know wooing women <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! So, well, but what area are you? Uh, you know, to your question, I mean, I can relate to a lot of these. I mean, growing up, I was like straight A student, always wanted to get the A, you know. And then in my masters too, it was like I need to get an A in every class, and I did. I mean, I you know, it's like an identifying thing, but I also like learning, so I don't know. But I definitely, I like, I had to. You so know? if you got less than an A, I'm I'm sure you probably got a B. At some point, or maybe even a C. Yeah. No. No. Seriously? I mean, I, I got a C once on a philo- uh, philosophy paper. I was so shocked. That was like freshman year of college. I really was like, wow, I never, ever. And then I oh had gosh. to go to the TA and like learn about actually writing, you know, uh, for philosophy. And I did get an A in the class. Nice. So I turned that around. But, but yeah, I mean, Diane is even better than me. She is a <laughs> perfect student. Uh, she never got a B on it. What was your class ranking? Um, I'm just curious. Yeah, in high school, I think I was salutatorian. And then in, oh, were you really? Yeah, I and think, then at Fairfield, I, think, yeah. at Fairfield, I was. you generally know. <laughs> um, no, I, I was. And um, at Fairfield, I was a valedictorian. So, For real? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I had no idea. Um, like, so You do learn something new y- every day. Yeah, but like that, it, it kind of is, a, it is a problem, you know, like of, because when I was little, I just always, like Lauren, I just like wanted to get the highest grade possible. And so I'd kill myself in order to like make sure, being super diligent, working super hard. But then it, it bled into like, you know, in college, the same thing. I just wanted to get the top grade so that I would get, go 
to, you know, like the accounting firm that I wanted to be at. And um, yeah, it just, it honestly didn't even matter. It was like, I have a type A personality. So I couldn't accept myself doing anything less than my best. I just couldn't do it couldn't slack off like I wanted to, but I couldn't. And then in work too, I mean, I work with a bunch of type A people and we work really long hours during busy season. And I would say like, I had to learn a hard lesson of like, I am making this, I'm finding my identity in how I'm in the grades that I'm getting in the, you know, like the accolades at work. And I was like on the outside doing extremely well, but on the inside, just feeling very empty because especially I didn't really realize it when I was in college or high school, but like at work, you know, I was like, I am working ridiculous hours. I'm not seeing my friends, you know, like this is the first five years that I, after college. And, um, I realized that I was putting like every, like putting that before everyone else and God. Um, and I just had this like profound emptiness. So I knew again that like, that's, that's when I like clued into my own disordered, you know, attachments to things of like, I, I kind of just had to like be okay with stepping away a little bit and realizing that like, okay, if I don't, you know, at work do this project like a hundred percent the way that like I would normally do it and spend all these hours, it's okay. And I'm still gonna, like, I'm still, You're still loved. <laughs> I'm still loved, but you have, you have to, it's like, it can be so scary because you have, you have that ingrained in your head that like, this is my identity. I know it sounds ridiculous, but like it's it becomes scary when you try to step away. But as you do, there is an interior freedom and you realize that you were actually like a slave to what you were doing. Mm. And so and that's the whole thing with like disordered attachments that you're actually like you think you're controlling things, but you're really a slave to it. So, Mm. yeah, um, I guess I learned the hard way, but that's it's just ingrained in my personality. It's been a that's been the biggest challenge in my spiritual life and everything of just like perfectionism perfectionism yeah yeah and it, it it's a it's a good thing in some ways but it's really hard in other ways um and it's it's a hard like it's a, it's a burden to have to carry i think sure sure you know i'm a big fan of the prayer the uh, litany of humility um and uh one of the last the last line you say always is sort of hard to choke out but it's um that i may the others may become holier than i provide that i may become as holy as i should jesus give me the grace to desire it that's a tough thing like, mm. um, right, that someone else yeah. is going to be closer to God than I am, and that's okay. Because it's not how we're trained to think either about ambition in general or about holiness, I think. But yeah. um, this is, that's what that reminds me of. It's like a tough thing to, to internalize. Well, that, that brings up the question of like spiritual pride and perhaps the perfectionism in the spiritual life. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you guys find that in your, in your lives or... I mean, I, so I had a problem when I, this past Lent, I engaged in fasting for like the, I mean, obviously I used to do on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, but I was like, well, let me, let me try to, you know, like, this is, this is an important thing to try. And I was just going so hardcore that I just, I mean, like barely eating anything. I felt awful. I felt like I was going to pass I'm out. I'm laughing because she's like, Lauren, do it with me. I'm like, okay, I'll try that. I, I did not do it one day. <laughs> And I just went way too hard, way too fast. And so I talked to a priest and he was like, what are you doing? Like, why? why?" Diane's also a runner. 
And she's about as thin as a stick. So. <laughs> yes. So I was, and I was still running. And um, so that was actually a lesson in pride of like, I don't need to, I had this thing in my head of like, it needs to hurt really bad in order for this to be sort of like meritorious in God's eyes. And that was total pride of, and but I had to have a priest kind of tell me like, no, you, it, it's to just to explain that, you know, it really did, it was my pride and that, no, it doesn't have to be super painful. It can be a sacrifice, but it doesn't have to be, you know, like you're killing yourself. Yeah. Um, but that is, again, something that I struggled with of like, I'm only good in God's eyes if I do this, like, to the point where I really, really feel it, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Because I wasn't okay with just feeling it a little bit. I was like, no, it's got to really, really hurt for this to be like. Yeah. Sure, sure. That's one, one of my mottos this year is really kind of just this phrase that's been on my mind. It's, you don't have to be perfect to be loved. Because I think sometimes we feel that in our spiritual life. Like, God will only love us if we are first perfect, you know? And I remember when I was probably in college, like, for like nine months, every time I would say in my prayer, I'm like, Lord, I love you, a thought would come to my mind, no, you don't. Think about all the stuff you did. How can you say you love God? You don't love God. Look at all the ways you fall every single day. And I was like, yeah. And I would kind of agree with that thought. I'd be like, yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm just trash. You know, I'm trying to love you, God, but I don't really love you yet. You know? And finally, you know, talking to my spiritual director about it, he's like, dude, where's this thought coming from? That's not from God, right? It's from the evil one. He's trying to convince you that, that because you love imperfectly, you don't love at all, you know? And it made me realize, no, actually an imperfect love is love. You know, it's just imperfect love. And we're striving for that perfect love, but also not striving in the sense of like, ah, oh, gritting it in my teeth and doing it by my own efforts. And I don't know, do you guys struggle with that in your life, Lauren and Joe? Like perfectionism in the uh, spiritual definitely. life? Well, I don't know. I mean, just in all parts of my life, I definitely want to be perfect and like perceived as perfect. And I think the root of that is like what you're saying, like I'm only loved or I'm only worthy of love if I am perfect like in everything that I do, but that's not where God's love comes from. So trying to break that down and maybe give up control on certain things and like, but it's so hard, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm trying, but that, that's been something I've been working on as well, like in my own spiritual direction. So I think one of the reasons why I've, I found it a struggle is because some, because it, it's, it's very hard to be vulnerable with your weaknesses with other human beings and still have them love you. I'll never forget. I only got one C in high school and my parents sat me down at the table <laughs> and were like, what are you doing? Oh, I can't believe you didn't study hard enough for this. It was biology. I was like, oh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and like that ingrained so deeply in me, like, like to get my parents approval, I have to get straight A's. Now, granted, I mean, like I wasn't working as hard as I could have. And like, you know, so there was that issue, but I don't know, something I always took with me. I, um, I've never been the kind of person who, I've never been a perfectionist, really. I've always admired people who were because there's something very just good, I think, about being able to set your mind to doing something and then doing it and doing it really well. Um, that was never really me. I mean, I wasn't a great student, student in high school. I was a good student in college. Um, I, I did really well there. Um, but when I realize that I'm good at something or become good at something through my own efforts, I become very jealous with that sort of status of good at that. And so, like, I, in college, this was a problem for me because I became a pretty good writer. And then, I, of all classes, a class called Catholics in the U.S., I got like a sick, like a forty-five on a paper. What? I was, I was, I was so mad. It was, it, it, it was. Anyway, <laughs> I was <start> complaining <laughs> about it. It wasn't exactly fair, but she, I, it was fine. But I, I remember, like, I went home to my room that night, 
And I like I was in a bad mood, obviously. And I like tripped over something in my room. And I had this impulse, like, I'm going to punch my fist through my monitor if I don't get out of my room and like get something active or like get this out of my system. So um, and that can be very difficult. But that's also ultimately pride because she wasn't, the professor was not wrong to say that I did not write the paper like I was supposed to write it, even though I thought it was well written. And there have been times like that where I have to remind myself, like, yeah, you can still be a good writer. It doesn't mean that everything you write is like ready to be tacked on to the end of the Bible. Like, you know, so like, <laughs> still, you need to like be a little bit humble. And the same thing, like, um, like in teaching CCD, like I, I like to think that I'm reasonably good at teaching kids and I enjoy it. And so I, I sort of, those two things come together, but then like last Sunday, my classes didn't go well. And there's just no two ways about it. Like I just clearly wasn't sinking in and I was leaving. And I was like, I don't understand. Like I'm good at this. Like I, I can get through to them. I know I could have gotten through to them and I didn't. And I love the subject matter. So how did it not work? It must be that I, whatever, but it's like, no, be humble. Like maybe their hearts were hardened. Maybe you actually didn't do as well as you thought. Maybe you were cocky and didn't prepare enough. So um, in those ways, I find myself being sort of sort of being like consumed by my own ambition to maintain the status that I feel like I've already earned mm. or have just gotten through no effort of my own. And that's something I need to be out, look, on the lookout for. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's one great way to know if you are too attached to and uh, to your status, to your ambition is what do you do when people criticize that yeah. aspect of your life? You know? If someone said, no, you're not good at running or whatever. <laughs> I don't know how you can not be good at running. <laughs> yeah, just, I guess. Just keep doing it. <laughs> oh, but I think like one of the biggest lessons for me in the spiritual life, which I have realized through all of this like perfectionism and struggle with it, is that like we, the bottom line is like we're not worthy and we will never be worthy. And so like to accept that though is is a huge there's, there's a lot of freedom that comes knowing that like, there's nothing that I can do to make myself, you know, like to, for God to love me more to, um, yeah, I just think that like, just knowing that, uh, it just, it kind of allows you to like be more humble and like, you know, roll with punches and everything, Mm. because at the end of the day, like no matter what you do, no matter how hard you work, it's like, yeah, we're, the whole point is we're not worthy. And that's like the greatest gift, you know? So it's like an avenue to like loving, like understanding God's gratuitous love, even um, I guess at a deeper level than at least I did before I kind of came to that realization. Indeed, it is gratuitous, free gift. Amen. So, so no conversation about uh, success and ambition would be complete without bringing up the very famous Mother Teresa quote, God does not require success. He only requires faithfulness or something, something like that. Is that true? I I don't know. I've never really that that quote has never really settled well with me. I don't know. What do you guys think? So, so this is my problem with it. Like I think I I felt the same way you did. So like I think that's true to a point, but it's only true if you have put in the effort, all the effort you could. So it's not enough to just totally blow off studying for a test and then to say, well, God doesn't require success; he only requires faithfulness. It's like okay, great, but you weren't faithful because faithfulness isn't just saying God, please take the wheel. It's actually putting in the effort required of you. So like for my example, I mean like there are, there's an extent to which that class just didn't work out because it didn't work out because because the kids hearts were hardened against me or because it was the Lord was using that moment to remind me that I'm, you know, human and fallen, but also like I could have prepared a lot better and I got cocky about the subject matter because I knew I knew it. And so I didn't take the notes that I ordinarily would have. So I think you need to be willing to acknowledge the extent to which you have actually failed. And then to say, God doesn't require that I actually succeed as long as I'm making enough of an effort. Mm. So I feel like maybe, I mean, it's a short quote. I just think it lacks that nuance, which is, you know, don't want to correct St. Mother Teresa, but uh, yeah, <laughs> she's much better than I am. But <laughs> Yeah, she was pretty faithful yeah, and successful absolutely. in her own way. I don't know. For me, it's always been like, 
one of the things I think we can discern God's will very clearly is in the ways in which we succeed and fail. You know, because you may not have a charism or a gift if you keep failing at something. And you're like, well, I'm just being faithful. Well, okay, but maybe God is calling you to do something else mm-hmm. where you're going to be successful. You know, I just think of like, um, you know, like maybe if you've, if you've, if, if your parish has tried like, you know, this guy's maybe try to start a youth group three times and it keeps failing. Like, okay, well, maybe that's not your charism, you know, and that's all right to recognize that. But like God does really want success. In fact, he says, you know, he says, if you stay close to me, you will bear fruit. And it, it is my will that you bear fruit, fruit that will remain, you know? So I think fruitfulness is a piece of it. And we need to see, well, if I'm, if I'm failing, does that mean a, I need to look at myself and change myself, or do I need to find another place to use my gifts? That's a great point, Father Joseph, because I think that I just, I don't know, I've been maybe reading and listening a lot to the, to the Dominicans lately. And uh, one of the things they keep emphasizing is just that, like, we all um, the, we all glorify God in our own unique ways that's, like, going to be unrepeatable. So to, to the... You know, like you, you want to be able to find that thing where you most glorify God, I guess, and like to be attentive to that. You know, obviously be attentive to your desires, but yeah, I mean, if, if you're failing at something, and maybe it is trying to try to try something <laughs> time new, time to change. <laughs> exactly, because God wants us to have that fullness of life and the fullness of, of fruitfulness in our own life. So thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Restless. Uh, My challenge, I think, this week is really to examine our hearts, to examine our hearts and say, you know, what am I passionate about? What what is my identity wrapped up in? And perhaps it needs to be detached from the things of this world to realize that we are loved, not because of anything we've done, but simply because of God's free gift of love. And then to use your gifts and talents to glorify God and make sure that everything we do is for His glory alone. You have listened to us on Veritas Catholic Radio. You can also, it was just 13.50 a.m. You can also find us on uh, Apple Podcasts and wherever else you get your uh, podcasts. Thanks so much for joining us. Tune in next time. Mm-hmm.